just thank you that we get to come together today as one body, as your church, Lord, to worship you. God, we just thank you for this Lent season, Lord, where we get to intentionally reflect upon our sin, Lord. I pray that you would just give us the wisdom to understand the weight of our sin, Lord. Just like Paul in Romans 7, Lord, give us the wisdom to understand. But also, Lord, give us the strength to come to you because you're faithful to forgive, Lord. We just thank you that you sent your son, Lord. We thank you that we get living hope this day. And Lord, we just pray that we would come to you. We would humble ourselves, Lord. Give us strength to confess our sins to you. Lord, we just pray for Pastor Blake as he comes up and speaks your word, Lord. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him. Give him a boldness and a courage, Lord, and a confidence in you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Good morning, Crosspoint. Thank you for joining us today. Sorry, I cut someone off saying good morning back. I'll, I'll give you guys another run at that. Good morning, Crosspoint. There we go. And I don't feel bad for cutting you off. All right. If you would join me by grabbing a copy of God's Word and finding your way to 2 Timothy, whether you want to look it up on your phone or grab an analog version, I prefer the, uh, the, the hear that sound of Bible pages turning. It's always nice and pretty. So if you would join me there in 2 Timothy, we are in the middle of the series talking about passing the baton, right? The, the context of this letter is you have the Apostle Paul who had spent decades of his life preaching and declaring the gospel, declaring how all the promises of the Old Testament, all of the, <coughs> excuse me, all the prophecies, all of the hope of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. He spent several years trying to fight it, deny it, and then God shows himself to Paul. Paul has this amazing encounter with God, life transformed, and for the rest of his life, dedicates it to declaring that the Messiah the world has been waiting for has come. And now he's sitting in jail. And he is well aware of the fact that while sitting in jail, his life is coming to an end. Right for, for most of us, when we look at life, we really don't know what that is. We don't know how long that's going to go. We assume it's going to last to the end of the service. 
We assume it's going to last to the end of the day. But we don't really know. It's kind of this question mark. Paul knew full well that his time was drawing to an end and drawing to an end quickly. And so he writes this letter to Timothy, someone who traveled with him, someone who would preach the gospel alongside him. And he's trying to encourage him with these uh, last words, this last letter before, <coughs> before he ultimately goes to the end. And last week we were talking about, Pastor was talking about kind of the crux, the hub of this whole book where Paul tells Timothy, hey, what you've been taught, the things that I've shown you, the, the truths that you've learned from me, from others, from the word of God, find people who are faithful. Teach it to them that they would teach it and then they would teach it and this multiplying effect, right? Because we as Christians are not meant to just sit here and take and take and take and take. It's very useless learning information you don't apply. Right? If you, you can learn how to fix a sink or, or how to change a water heater or fix a furnace, but when yours goes down, if you never do anything with it, you never fix the furnace, well, what's the point of the knowledge? So what's been given to us, we're supposed to then use and equip others to use as well. And that's the context of this passage as it goes to this next part in verse 3. So if you look with me in verse 3, it says this. <clears throat> Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. That kind of creates the next uh, heading, really, for this part that we're at. Endure suffering with me. That word there for endurance, a uh, Greek word, hupomene, it's the idea of like to, to remain underneath. Imagine it like this. Uh, someone comes up alongside you. Anyone ever have this happen? Uh, some of you who are maybe vertically challenged, this probably happens more often, where someone comes and they just kind of like rest a shoulder on you. It just kind of like rests their weight on you. Anyone ever had people do that to them? All the time as I was a kid, my older siblings would like come and like, and it pushes you down. And it puts pressure on you and weighs you down. Now as a kid, or generally when people do that, what do you want to do? You want to duck out underneath and get away from the pressure. Well, this word, this idea of endurance, hupomene, is the idea that, no, 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 you're going to stay in this. You're not going to duck out. You could, you could step out from this, but you're not going to. You're going to stay and remain under the pressure. Kind of like the, the carbon that's under the pressure and the weight of the earth. And under, uh, over time and time, it becomes a diamond. If you pull it out too early, you don't get diamond, you get coal dust. Keep it under the pressure. So he's telling Timothy, hey, endure in this. There's going to be suffering that comes your way. If you're following after Christ, there's going to be suffering that comes your way. You could jump ship. You could run away from it. But he's encouraging Timothy as he's uh, looking to the end of his life, telling Timothy, hey, don't step out. Don't try to run away from it. Endure it. Why? Well, that's the next part of this passage. Verse 4. It says this. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. The hardworking farmer, uh, farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. Well, what is he saying? He gives us three examples, right? We have an example of a soldier, an example of an athlete, an example of a farmer. 
<coughs> now, you can really spend a whole like, weekend just unpacking, <coughs> excuse me, unpacking some of the things of the implications of the analogy of a soldier and a farmer and an athlete, but we're going to hit the highlights of what he's saying. A soldier does not get entangled up with all the things going around him. Why? Well, think about it for a second. If you're a soldier, and as a soldier, your mission is to go and take this town. It's to go and capture this point. But as you're going, you, stop, you, look, you see a shop on the side, like, oh, well, those are cool. I want to check out these shoes. They're so much more comfortable than my shoes. Well, that's ridiculous. Because as a soldier, you're given a mission. You're given a purpose, a mission to accomplish. So if you're wanting to please the commander, the one who gave you and issued the orders, you don't spend your time being weighed down with all the things of civilian life. You're like, no, I have a mission. And I'm going to zero in on that mission, and I'm going to press on towards that mission. Similarly, if you're an athlete. If you're an athlete, then, well, at this time, there's rules. Not just for how you competed, there was rules for how you trained. If you broke the rules on how you trained or broke the rules on how you competed, it didn't matter if you won, you didn't get the prize. Why? Because you cheated. So there's a mission. There's a right mission to accomplish. There is a right way to accomplish it. And then lastly, the farmer is the one we expect to get the first fruit, the first harvest, reward for all the labor and the toil of what he done. So what's this all saying? Boil it down to this. God rewards those that go about God's mission in God's way. Right? Because the simple truth is we are given a mission. Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, no matter what you face, no matter the circumstances around you, there is a mission you have been called to. There is a purpose with which you were called. (laughs) We could spend our life focusing on all the things that don't matter. And how sad and tragic would that be? To spend our life focusing on all the things that really just don't matter. On the popularity, the status, the power, the money, the the things. There's so much you could spend your life on. You could fill your bank accounts and your storehouses, and you could set so many things in motion. You could mastermind so many plans. But at the end of the day, does it matter? Is what you are spending your life on actually matter? Because we are only given a finite amount of time on this earth. A small blip on the radar screen. Right? When When you're little, time seems like it goes on forever. When you're five, Christmas is a month away, and you're like, it won't ever get here! And then you get older, and, you re- and you're looking around, and you're like, wait a second, didn't I just take down the tree yesterday? And now it's back up again? Did we ever take it down? Because as you get older, you begin to realize time just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it's so fast. So with the time you have left, and we don't know how much that is, For the time that we have left, are we living our lives intentionally, on purpose, on mission? Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to sell everything they have and go become a missionary and run off to the Congo. But what I am saying is God's called you to his mission. 
What is his mission? It is to glorify him as you live your life on purpose for him. So what does that mean? It means that we live our lives by his word. It means that we declare the truths of the gospel to any who would hear. It means that your life is a tangible testimony of the grace of God. It's not a private faith. It's not a hidden thing. It is my life displayed. It's Christ displayed. Are we living our lives on mission? Are the things that we are spending our time on that really, guys, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, 10 years from now, five years, a decade from now, whatever it is, <coughs> it doesn't matter. Because truth be told, I know that some of us really like having a clean house. But is it worth the chaos and the stress of always having a clean house if it means you're always angry and frustrated at your kids. What matters more? Spending time with the kids or cleaning up those crumbs? What matters more? Spending time with a loved one, spending time sharing the gospel, spending time declaring Christ, spending time being a witness for God. I'm not talking about on a street corner, though maybe that's a gifting God's given you, but your life in your workplace, in your family, being an example of the love and grace of Christ or having everything done the way I want it done. My timing. What matters more? Right now, I understand that there's, there's a, there's, excuse me, there is a list of priorities, right? Because, for example, that toilet needs to get cleaned. It just does. I'm not saying that you ignore all of your house cleaning forever so that you can rough house with a kid. I'm not saying, right, there's, there's timing, there's priority here. But the point is, are we living our lives with the intentionality of there is a mission that we are called to? And it's not just that we, there's a mission that we are called to. But it's, it's about doing it God's way, right? It's about doing it the way that honors him. Because <coughs> we can try and craft so many things. Human beings, really clever. We are. God gave you creative, intelligent minds. Why? Because God is intelligent and creative, and we are made in the image of God. So there is resourcefulness and creativity given to humanity, and we can find endless ways of using it. But with God, it's like, no, no, no. It's not any way you want. The athletes, they have to train in a right way and compete in a right way in order to attain the prize. God's like, hey, um, that's how this works. It's kind of like imagine uh, in the NFL, you're setting all sorts, not the NFL, excuse me, imagine you're in the Olympics and you're setting all sorts of records, amazing, gold medals, fastest times, highest jumps, and then they find out that the whole time, well, you've been using steroids. All the medals, gone. All the records, erased. Why? There's a right way, a right mission, and a right way in which we accomplish it. But what is that right way? That right way, it's not a mystery. I don't know if you know this, but your life, your whole life is kind of like this massive, big test. But don't worry, it's open book. The Bible is given to us that we would know what God calls us to and that we would know how we are meant to do it. Are you supposed to discipline your kids? Absolutely. But are you supposed to discipline them ruthlessly? No. With love 
and with grace, seeking to train them up in righteousness. Are we supposed to have our homes in order? Yes, we are. But in doing that, are we supposed to be the dictators of the home where it has to be my way? Well, no. Like there's a, we could go through a lot of different examples. But I think we get the point, right? It's, it's about God's mission, and it's about doing it in a way that honors him, in a way that declares to the world who he is. Now, I understand, we're not going to do this perfectly. We're all going to have times when our eyes are sidetracked by something they shouldn't be. We're all going to have times when our affection, our goals, are going after things, and we need a priority reset. Like, okay, God, I was going down this path. That's not really where you're wanting me. Okay, I'm coming back. We're going to have these seasons. No one in this life is going to be perfect at this. So it would be nice, but none of us will be. So part of this is also having the humility to understand that. The humility to understand that and say, okay, when I'm not where I need to be, when I'm not on mission, when I'm not doing what God has called me to the way he wants me doing it, I'm going to step back to what he's called me to do. Right? Because we could arrogantly barrel on. But that's not what it is. Now, this is the, again, the context is, hey, Timothy, endure suffering. You're going to endure suffering. Because when we do things God's way, on God's mission, we've talked about before in this series, and we'll talk about it again over the course of the series, there is going to be hardship. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be trials. There's going to be disciplines. There's going to be persecutions. It's going to be there. So, the soldier, God's mission. The athlete talking about doing this the right way. But then there's also the encouragement of doing it, knowing that there's going to be a reward. There's going to be a reward at the end. Now, that's <coughs> something a lot of people don't like to talk about. The reward piece. Because we like to say, well, I don't really need a reward. I can do, I don't need a reward. If God's offering it, I kind of think I want it. And more importantly, God says this about the reward he gives. Hebrews eleven six. Hebrews eleven six. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If you want to come to God, you want to believe God, guess what? You have to believe that he actually wants to reward you when you're following after him. In uh, he, uh, Jeremiah 17, 10. Jeremiah 17, 10, it says this. Anyone who wants to come to God must be, oh, it's the wrong verse, excuse me, 17, 10 is this. But I, the Lord, search all the hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to the actions they deserve. The way we live our life, there's going to be rewards. There's going to be things that come from this. Those who don't follow Christ, there's going to be the consequence. Those who do, there's the reward. God rewards. And that's something I feel like we don't talk about often enough in Christianity, is that when we endure through the hardship, when we actually do things the way God's called us to, it's not just about, did I do it right? Did I mess up? I don't know. There's actually reward for it. There's actually a prize to attain for it. Now, what is it? God doesn't tell us what that is. I don't, I don't fully know. Is it you get a little bit of a nicer mansion in heaven? We don't know. But what we do know is that God promises there is reward. There is blessing in this. 
So God's mission, not ours. God's way, not ours. In Proverbs 4.25, it says, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Right? The soldier staying on track, staying on mission, on course. If you were depending on a soldier to complete a mission and you get to the rendezvous point and the soldier shows up way late, you're like, hey, did you do it? It's like, you know, I was going to. But Home Depot was having a big sale. That's ridiculous. But we do that all the time. God's called us to something and we get so easily sidetracked. Loved ones, we have a mission. There's a right mission and a right way. Let's continue on in the text. It says this now, verse, excuse me, verse eight. Always remember that Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. I love that. Right? He's talking to Timothy, and he's like, hey, <coughs> we are preaching this good news. What is our mission? This mission is to declare the resurrected Christ, to declare the God who came to earth, lived, died, rose again, the salvation that we can know, the hope that we can have. There are so many. Last time I was up on this platform, we talked about how few in our nation actually subscribe to the beliefs of Scripture, the, the truths that Scripture teaches. One of them, one of the biggest core things of Christianity that the majority of our nation no longer holds to is that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. So what does that then mean? Well, if we don't embrace Christ as our Savior, if he is not the hope of our soul, what happens when we die? All right, there's only two options. There's heaven. We like that one. It's brilliant. It's wonderful. It's glorious. Radiance. Streets paved of gold. Pearly gates. The whole thing. It's the presence of God forever. The glory and love of God displayed for all of eternity. Amazing. But who is that for? Well, that is for those who know and love and follow Christ. Right? It's for those who walk with Christ, those who have embraced him as their savior, the ones who have rejected the idea that I can be good enough because I can't be good enough. That's why he died in my place to pay for my sin, that he, I, <coughs> that he would rise again, that I by faith could know and love him. That's what, who heaven is for. But did you know actually heaven was created for all people? But here's the problem. We've been tainted by our sin. So therefore, that is not allowed into heaven. Hence Christ coming, paying for our sin, removing our sin, amazing those who know Christ, heaven, perfection. He purifies, perfects us. We go into heaven untainted and unblemished. But those without Christ are still fully corrupted in their sin. So what is the other option? The option no one likes to talk about is hell. But it's the reality. It's the option no one wants to talk about, but that's the reality. And you know, Scripture actually tells us that hell was not made for us. It was made for the angels who rebelled. 
but when we reject Christ, your soul is eternal. It's, ever, excuse me, it's everlasting. It goes on forever. And when you reject Christ and you die on this earth, there is nowhere left for you to go but to a place where God's wrath is poured out forever. So why? Why does Paul take this so seriously? Why does he like, you're going to suffer, but it's worth it. Why? Because there is a God who was dead and rose again, and Jesus Christ who was resurrected to life. There is a message. There is a promise we can declare to the nations. And that's worth it. No matter the prison, no matter the chains, that is worth it. As Paul is talking to Timothy, he's like, hey, I'm chained right now. I am in chains. I am in prison. But... The good news cannot be chained. It doesn't matter what happens to you and I. It doesn't. The gospel cannot be contained. It cannot be stopped. Throughout human history, there's been many movements of people trying to wipe out God, wipe out the Bible, wipe out the people of God. All have failed. Why? Because God cannot be stopped. His mission cannot be delayed. His word cannot be bound. So while Paul's in chains, telling Timothy, hey, this is it for me, but it's not for you. I'm in chains, but our gospel, the message that God has given us, it it cannot be chained. This is why I'm here. But Timothy, don't lose sight of the reality that you are on a mission. You are given a way to carry this out, and God's going to reward you. Whatever we face on this earth, God's going to reward you. And why does it matter? Take a look at verse 10. Paul writing saying, so I am willing to endure anything. Why? If it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. What is he saying? He's saying this. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if I never get recognition. I don't care if there's a role for me. I don't care if I'm suffering, if I'm in jail, if I'm killed. I don't care about any of it. I don't care if my reputation is destroyed. I don't care. As long as what? As long as there will be those who come to salvation and the glory of Christ. That's the point. Right? Because there's a reality of heaven for those in Christ. But loved ones, there's also the reality of hell for those not in Christ. Well, that's not nice. And people don't like that. Well, no, no one likes bad news. But guess what? I'd much rather a doctor tell me I have cancer than tell me, oh, you're fine. I'd much rather be convinced that I have an illness that needs treatment than for a doctor to be like, I mean, it's something to look at. Yeah, And that's just my life on earth, right? We're talking about a cancer that impacts not just your your body that's going to die regardless. We're talking about something that's impacting the soul. Paul's like, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens. A soldier on a mission goes on a mission knowing that it could cost him his life. It doesn't matter what happens to me. Why? Because if someone comes to Christ, if someone sees the salvation of God and the glory of Christ, that's what matters. That's the point. That's, (coughs) excuse me, that's where this is all going. 
It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For I preach, Paul writing, this is, he wrote this earlier in his life, and he said, for I, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. Why? He says why. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's like, hey, if I preach the gospel, that's nothing. That, that's not something for me to be like, oh, I preach the gospel. Why? See, because if I don't preach it, Oh my goodness, like I couldn't handle that. Why? Why does it burden him so greatly to preach the gospel? He says also in Acts chapter 20, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He's like, I have to. Why? Because Paul knows the reality. The reality that there's not a single person you have ever met, not a single person who has a mortal soul. Every person you have or will ever meet will go on for all of eternity future. The only question is where? When we lose sight of what's important, it's usually because we're focusing on what's happening right here and right now and not looking at what matters most, at what matters for eternity. Which is why this point with choosing what matters most over what's convenient now, right? Is it convenient to share the gospel Usually no. Is it convenient to live your life in a way that is honoring to God? Usually no. Is it convenient to suffer for the name of Christ? No. What's convenient? What do I want now? Well, I want the American dream. I want the house and the wife and the kids and, the, and I want the finances and I want the cars and I want... And there's nothing wrong with having a nice house or a car. I'm not trying to besmirch that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is... Is that the point of your life? To build some little kingdom on earth that's going to fall? Or to advance the kingdom of God that stands forever? When we find ourselves straying off mission, it's because we're focusing on what we see now, what we want now, rather than what matters most and what we want most, which is the eternity future that God has promised. If you want motivation to share the gospel, if you want motivation to talk with others about the truths of God, I can't think of a greater motivation than to think and dwell on the richness of the grace and love that you've experienced from Christ right now and how when we are in eternity, that is only going to be magnified a million fold as all sin and barrier, all inhibition, everything gone and just straight access to the Father and just there he is on his throne and the glory of God and how awesome that's going to be. And then to contrast that for those without Christ, and the eternity that they will have to endure. The hell, the literal hell that awaits, where his wrath 
His goodness is pulled. Hell is not the absence of God, as some like to say. It is the presence of God's wrath. It is the absence of the goodness of God. It is the absence of the grace and the mercy and the joy and the love that we've come to know as his children, but is the full presence of his justice and his wrath as it is poured out for eternity. So when Paul says, it doesn't matter what happens to me, if anyone comes to salvation, if anyone gets saved, sees the glory of God, that's what matters. See, sometimes as Christians, we feel like we need to find the right words. We feel like we need to find the right way, the right argument, the right whatever. Newsflash, you're never going to. You're not, because you can have the most persuasive argument, the best apologetics, the perfect words. And all that's going to do is make someone think a little bit. If we want to see life, soul change, that's that's a work of God. So when we say it's God's mission, God's way, that means it's not about you and it's not up to you. It's our job to be faithful because the Spirit of God will use those that are faithful to accomplish His mission. You can be bumbling and bumbling and bumbling and God does amazing things. You can be the most eloquent person in the room and nothing happens. Why? Because the difference is not you. The difference is Him. I've been... Uh, at camps and heard speakers all over the place. And I've heard dynamic speakers where it seems like nothing was accomplished. And I've heard people who spoke and it was like the most fumbling, bumbling. I had a hard time following. I, t- like from earthly perspective, the speaking was like, I don't understand what's happening. Like it's hard to follow. But then life after life, life is transformed. And you're like, what happened? What happened was it doesn't matter, the messenger. What matters is the message. What matters is the God who empowers his words. I've seen ministry nights planned so well. And it comes and it goes and there's lights and there's music and there's drama and there's, and it's, and it's really fun experience. And then at the end of the day, what's happened? I don't know. And I've seen ministry nights where literally everything goes wrong. God moves. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen God move in places where things are planned. I'm not saying that the secret is not to plan anything. Not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what makes the difference is not the talent. What makes the difference is not the skills. What makes the difference is the God who empowers his humble servant, who wants to be used by him. So when Paul writes, I, I, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if, I go to, if I'm in jail. I don't care that I'm in chains. The word of God goes forth. The word of God can't be contained. And it doesn't matter what happens to us. As long as the salvation and glory of God goes out. And it will. It will unquestionably go forth. The question for us really becomes... Are we going to be the one willing to take the baton that's passed to us? The passage last week, what has been taught to us, what has been given to us, will we be the ones who faithfully receive it and then pass it on to the next? God's mission goes forward with or without you. 
But I don't know about you, when I stand before God and the end, and he's looking at my life, I want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've followed me. You have been my servant. And I don't want to hear, ooh, some people get into heaven by the skin of their teeth, and that's you. When I get to heaven, I would love for my life to have been spent on mission for Christ. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got plenty of issues from my life, my past, my present. There's plenty of things. My future's going to be filled with many more issues that I don't even know about yet. But that's one of the amazing things about who our God is. He's taken all of my failures, all of my missteps, all of my sin, and he already knew all of that before he went to the cross. And yet he did it anyway. You can't out the love of God. Why? Because the love of God went to the cross already knowing where you would, have, where you would go, what you would do. He chose to love you anyway in spite of it. There's this common mentality in the church that, oh, God can't use me. Oh, I've messed up too much. God doesn't want to use me. That is a lie from hell. If you are God's, he wants you and he will use you. So are we going to submit to him and humbly go? Because guys, I tell you, I'm telling you, this requires humility. This requires humility. Because imagine, imagine if someone just comes up to you and says, hey, um, I want you to be someone who suffers a lot. I'm going to take away everything that you enjoy. I'm going to cause you to suffer. It's going to be difficult. Do you want to do it? You're going to be like, well, no. Why? Because no one wants to. The humility piece comes in saying, God, your mission is worth whatever I go through. Whatever I have to give up on this earth, whatever popularity, whatever status, God, gone. Don't care. Why? Because it's not about self-esteem. It's not about, look what I can do. God's gifted a lot of people in this room but it's not about your gifts. It's about him. It's not about what can I do. It's about the mission of God, the word of God that cannot be stopped. So as we go about our life, are we willing to say, God, use me. Cause me to be obedient to you. A lot of times people will pray the prayer, God, let me, let me see what you would like for me to do. And that's nice, but I usually pray, God, make me do it, because I'm kind of blind sometimes. Just like, kick me through the door. It's like, God, I just want to be used by you. I don't care what happens, as long as your mission, your gospel goes out. Why? Because there are people desperate to hear it. Desperate to hear it. can't be our private little faith. It can't be my own special little thing for me and my family. That's like having access to the only water source in a desert and not telling anyone because, well, they might not like this water. This water might not taste good to them. What? We have the living water, the life spring of all dwelling within us. And there are people dying of thirst. 
God's mission, God's way. Now, I want to be clear about something. I'm not bringing all this up to condemn us of, well, you're not doing a good enough job going out there and teaching the gospel. You're not doing a good enough job being a witness. I'm not, this, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. I'm, what this is, is Paul reminding Timothy, and by God's grace, me reminding you and I, that we cannot let ourselves be sidetracked to go after our own things, go after our own plans when there is eternity in the balance. When there's something so weighty and heavy as the salvation of people that God has called us to go to. Now, I understand when people talk like this, you have the whole thing, well, is it free will? Is it predestined? Did God predestined this person? Has he chosen them? I, I want to tell you something that people don't like to hear. None of that matters. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you are called to declare the gospel. You are called to share your faith. You are called to live on mission for Christ, regardless of the predestination free will conversation. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. It's kind of a useless conversation. And I understand I'm going to get some angry emails about that. That's fine. I'll take them. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter. Nothing changes. You are still called to live on purpose for Christ. You are still called to declare the gospel. You are called to bring the word of God into every area of your life. At home, at work, the grocery store, the park. You're called to live. It's a fragrance emanating from you of the grace of God. That when people are in your presence, they know there's something different. As the passage goes on, we get verse 11, and there's this, uh, most of your Bibles will probably have some weird little indentation thing happening here, and that's because this next part um, isn't Paul's original writing. This next part is basically, it's an early creed of the church. Um, Many of us are probably familiar with the Apostles' Creed, right? Anyone? I don't want to say it. No, I'm not going to make you do that. But like, we have the different creeds of the church, What's a creed? A creed is basically this. Back in the time, especially before printing presses, uh, it was difficult to have copies of scripture. So the church would have creeds. Creeds were statements of faith, statements of belief. It was basically saying this. Hey, um, here's what the scriptures teach. Here's the basics. Here's the truth. Why? Because I can memorize a creed. And I can know that if this creed is in line with scripture, that what I'm hearing, if it's in line with that creed, awesome. And if it's not in line with that creed, it's not in line with scripture. That was the purpose of the creeds. And here's an early one, early one from the church. It says this, if we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship with him, we will reign with him. Now, um, the NLT, the version I'm using, says die as a present tense. The word is, and many translations uh, other than NLT will say died, past tense, which is, I would suggest, a more accurate way of, of saying this because it's not talking about martyrdom. It's not saying, if I'm martyred for Jesus, it's saying, if I have died with him. Well, what is he saying with that? Well, it's a common way of talking about it in the New Testament. It says in Romans 6, Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 5, since we have been united with him, with Christ, in his death, 
So what does it mean to die? We are united with Christ. If we have died with Christ, if we are united with him in his death, we will also be raised, with him, raised to life as he was. And Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So what is it saying? It's basically saying this. Hey, um, die to yourself. If we have died to ourselves, if we have crucified the flesh. Now, this is not saying that you're perfect, right? We've established we're not perfect. Because here's the thing about crucifixion. It's not a quick death. It's slow, often painful, but it is a certain death. If you're crucified, you are going to die. It's not fast, but it's certain. And so Paul's writing, he's like, hey, I have been crucified. We crucify our flesh. We crucify the desires. What does that mean? Saying, I am denying the sinful nature. I am dying to self that I live to Christ. So when he says, those who have died with him will live with him. What it's saying is that when we die to ourselves, what that means is the old self, the old life before Christ, that we would embrace Christ and walk with Christ. That's where there is life. It's an encouraging thing. And then if we endure hardship, then we will reign with him. So this next point is basically this. This mission could cost us everything, but there's reward. This mission you're on can cost you everything. Paul's like, hey, we got to die to ourselves. We're going to endure hardships. But the reward is there is life. We reign with Christ. You guys know that? That we reign with Christ in the end? What an amazing thing that is, that we get to actually reign with him. It says in James 1, James 1, 2, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him, there's the reward of life. Revelation 3.21. Revelation 3.21 says this, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Wow. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. What an amazing blessing that comes with that. What an amazing reward awaits those of us who walk by faith with Christ. And if we go on to the last part of this creed, it takes a bit of a turn. It says, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Now that first part, if we deny him, he will deny us. I want to clarify something. I often hear this taught in the sense of like, have you denied Jesus? Have you denied Jesus? In the sense like, I didn't, I didn't stand up for Jesus. I didn't do the right thing. I didn't, so I've denied. Well, if that's your standard of denying Jesus, everyone in this room has denied him. Not what this verse is saying. The word here for deny is it can mean to deny, to dis- disown, but also just basically means to say no to. 
It's not just saying, oh, I deny him, because we, we do it all the time. God forgive us, but we do it all the time. It's saying, do we deny him in that we're saying no to him, we disown him, we reject him. You reject him, he rejects you. Well, we talked about earlier, the heaven and hell thing. God's desire is that all of you saved, but those who reject the grace and the love of Christ, what then remains for them? But the eternity of his wrath that, rem- that awaits. Matthew 10, it's the same word that's used here, where he says, but everyone who denies me, Jesus who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. He's talking about those who have rejected him. Those who don't walk with him, right? It's not just talking about a denial. Peter denied Christ flat out three times and he was restored to ministry. It's not just talking about a denial because if it did, then the next part would make no sense. Verse 13, if we are unfaithful, how many of you have been unfaithful to Christ? Okay, well, some of you are lying right now, so let's try this again. How many of you have been unfaithful to Christ? Yeah, there we go. Like, every one of us, not that it excuses it or makes it right. But if we are unfaithful, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. I love that. God is faithful always. Malachi 3.6. Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. I do not change. He's like, I I never change. I'm always the same. So if I promised something before, that promise still is true now. If I say I'm going to be faithful to you, I will be faithful to you. It says in Hebrews 13.8, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So when we are unfaithful, when we have our times where we're wayward, where we're off mission, he's still faithful. Thank God he's still faithful. His faithfulness is not dependent on you and I doing the right thing all the time. If it was, we'd be out of luck real quick. His faithfulness is dependent on one thing and one thing alone. It's dependent upon himself. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He doesn't change. So if he is faithful, then regardless of what you and I have done, he stays faithful. Why? Because that is who he is. So you and I, talking about being on mission, running after Christ, doing this God's way, God's will, for God's reward. Enduring anything. Is there going to be times when you fall short? Absolutely. Is there going to be times when it doesn't make sense? And, and because it doesn't make sense to you, you choose not to follow. Yeah, it's going to happen. By God's grace, as you grow, as you mature, those things happen less. Why? Because as you learn to trust him more, your, your faith grows and you choose to trust more. And yes, that's a part of sanctification, fancy word that means growth in Christ, growth in holiness. So as we grow in Christ, does that unfaithfulness decrease by God's grace? Yes, we are to be growing in, in our faithfulness and our obedience. But even still, we will never be perfect this side of eternity but we have a God who is and in his perfect faithfulness will carry you through every step of this mission, every part of this journey that we would declare him. Why? Because it is God's heart that all would be saved. It's God's heart that all would come to repentance. 
So it's our mission to declare the truth of God, regardless of what it means for us, regardless of what it costs us. Because I don't know about you, but if someone going to Christ, going to eternity in heaven with God, means that I lose my life, I'm okay with that. If, if someone going from dead to alive, from sinner to saint, from reckless prodigal to child of the faithful God, if that costs me everything, it is worth it. It's worth it. Please pray with me. Jesus, <coughs> I am so... It's humbling to think about all that you have done for us and all the ways that you have given us grace, all the ways that you have shown yourself faithful to us. And God, it's humbling also to realize how many times I've been unfaithful to you and chosen not to go where you've called me. But God, I'm so grateful that through your faithfulness, through your power, your mission cannot be stopped. Your gospel goes forward. And God, I am sorry for where I have failed. And I am thankful for how you forgive and pick me up. God, I pray you carry this church forward, that we would be a people on mission for you, regardless of what happens, that the baton that has been passed to Timothy and passed to us, we would faithfully pass on to others, that they would know you love you and be saved by you as they experience your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.